think I started last week, so go ahead and let her rip. Okay. Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 260. So, a couple of months ago, I finished up my homebrew rig, right? Yeah, both of and us it, did. It's yeah, actually like half a year ago. Oh, man. You're right. Yeah, because it was like the summer. No, it was beginning. It was like end of spring, beginning of summer. Yeah. What, is, what that would be, January, March, April, May? May. Oh, my God. <laughs> COVID. Oh. It's almost wrapped back around. It's it's like eight months. Oh, no. Yep, yep. No. <laughs> well, a few months ago is, I guess that's still somewhat correct. Or just say some months ago I did it. Few, few months. Oh, there we go. <laughs> no, because that's actually a couple's two. Few is three. Yeah, few is more than two. So like a thousand months is a few months? I mean, now you're just getting ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I, I have I have a huge uh, problem with a couple meaning two. Because I use a couple to mean more than two all the time. All the time. I think I think when you, like, if you ask someone what's a couple, they'll say, like, two. But they use it in situations where it's more than two. Oh, yeah, all the time. It's an. I think couple and few is just, like... It's an estimate of a low number, usually something that you can grab in your hands. Yeah. In terms of like, you know, like bolts or like stuff like that. Sure. A couple of bolts. Yeah. A couple See, of that bolts. doesn't just sound like give me two. Because if I wanted to, I'd say give me two. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a couple of bolts. What does that mean in your mind? Go grab like a half a handful. There you go. Yeah. And that's almost guaranteed to be more than two. Yeah. Well, depends. So, so a couple of months ago, Parker finished his brewery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and so my uncle uh, runs a brew pub down in Alvin, Texas, called um, it is Gordon Street Tavern, and uh, they used to before COVID and all that stuff. They used to brew beer. Um, it was a brew pub, and then COVID hit, and they had to shut down, and their the brewery side, of course, shut down too, and it all went into a big disarray. And during Thanksgiving, I was talking to my uncle about it, and he wants to rebuild it. And then, once you know, COVID goes away, once we all have vaccines, um, he wants to reopen the uh, brewery side and start brewing beer again for his brew pub. And so, I went over there on Saturday, and. Uh, went through all his equipment and basically like tore it all down, tore all apart. It's all like dirty and dusty and stuff and uh, brought all the electronics back. And so my goal is to basically build two electrical boxes, one for the hot liquor tank, which is the just the fancy word for a pot of water that you get hot. And then um, the boil kettle, which is, that's self-explanatory, at least. Um, and then the electrical box to control the boil kettle. Because his system is a one-barrel system, but it's the kind that you, like, change the hoses around to, like, do the directional flow. Um, As opposed to your fancy valve system? Yeah, fancy mechanical valves. They're not automatic yet. I don't know if I'll ever do that yet, either. I don't know yet. I think um, that takes the fun out of it. Yeah, a little bit. It, it, it definitely would... It, like after a couple beers and then you turn the valve the wrong way and you shoot like half a gallon of boiling wort all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, and then it turns into sugar concrete. Yes. Um well not before your dog starts trying to eat it all up. <laughs> <laughs> um anyways, so yeah, uh that's kind of been one of my side projects um this week is kind of building those electrical boxes um and figuring out where the previous person who was doing this at his brew pub left off at. Um, and I think the idea is to basically get the, the system running again. And then once it's running really well, scale it up again to, cause they were actually getting to the point where they wanted to distribute to other uh, bars in the area. And on a one barrel system, that's 
kind of impressive because that's that's brewing a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if they're going to increase the volume or they are going to um, just, again, brew a lot and they want some optimizations on the process or something like that. Because they have, they have quite a large, like, walk-in fermentator. It's like seven feet by eight feet by, like, at least 10, 15 how many tanks are in it? Um, there is one bright tank in there, but there's a lot of fermentators. Sure. So, I I would say at least like six, seven fermentators. Hmm. So, I think what they do is they probably get a lot of batches going at once. They always keep like basically the fermentators always have to be full. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because you can, to some degree, let it just sit in there, even if, uh, even if it's ready to go, if it sits. A few more days it's not going to hurt anything no if anything it just gets better <laughs> so this is effectively you're just building a larger scale version of what you already built yeah exactly just a larger scale of what i've already built and i think that enough parts i've been going through all the bins that I brought uh brought back from alvin and i think there's enough stuff to do it all minus like i think there's some like switches i need to order but it shouldn't be too bad was it all done with PID loops, just like your uh, our systems are? Yeah, yeah, it's just a PID controller. Okay, so it's I, manual I'm... hose connections to redirect the flow and then just PID for heat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you ever went over to 8th Wonder Brewery back when MacFab was starting. Oh, yeah. Um, there was one there. time we went over. So 8th Wonder, back at... Uh, this was when we were at the second location. No, technically the third location for MacFab. We kind of say it was a second location, though. Because um, the first location was like we were rent... Church and I were renting a desk at like a co-op thing. <laughs> and I don't, and we only did that for like a month. And I don't really consider that like the original location because... You know, we we were still trying to figure out what MacFab was going to do. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then we moved to a location, a warehouse that was actually right next door to Eighth Wonder Brewery at the time. And this was when they were still doing like their batches in uh, like five barrel systems or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we moved um, one block down to a bigger warehouse and Eighth Wonder took over the rest of the warehouse we were used to be in. And that's when they upgraded to like those ginormous. They basically put like the biggest vessels they can put in that warehouse. It's jam packed in there. Yeah. Are they still in that location, or have they moved? I'm pretty sure they're still in that location. They were definitely before COVID, and I wouldn't assume they would move during COVID. Yeah, probably not. Um. And so we were at our second warehouse location. I'll I'll put it that way. And um, we would go over there whenever they had electronic electrical problems and like and it's the same thing they were doing like you know 50 barrel batches and it's still a little tiny pid controller that's controlling everything (laughs) (laughs) same electronics just like what you're connected to is just way bigger so it's all the same you know i i heard something the other day i don't think that this is true i don't see but 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 it it got me thinking like i don't even think this is possible, but maybe it was somebody uh, mentioned that it was either Coors Light or or Bud or something like that has a continuous process where yeah I've heard that too where basically they're they're injecting new fresh wort as it's fermenting as they're taking off fermented wort. Now that doesn't make much sense, but that would be really cool if that actually did happen. I mean, I could I I could see that happen if. Like, think about it this way. If you had a long enough tube, okay? <laughs> yeah. And let's say you put wart in one end, and it took seven days to get the output. Technically, it ferments it along it the fermented al- And then you just have an injector where your yeast is being injected in, and it just moves It just through. trickles in, yeah. That, okay, that sounds like... That, that sounds like Calculus 1, if... Parker and Steven were to make it. <laughs> Remember, like, they have, like, introduction to differential equations in Cal 1 or Cal 2. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. But, but, like, the classic problem of, like, you have a bucket and salt water is coming in the top. 
uh, and there's a hole in the bottom and water's coming out. Like how, like at what time T is the salinity X or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we would I say that. like D wart DT comes in and like D alcohol DT comes out. <laughs> yeah, if we did differential equations, that's what it would be. I'm just writing down some notes. Yeah, Parker's writing down. <laughs> um, it's a really good idea. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just building electrical boxes and then, um, I'll probably go down there again and train, um, my uncle knows how to brew. That's not the problem. It's, it, I'm mostly training in like the process I'm going to set up for him. Like I'm going to have all the hoses labeled and like all the fixtures that they plug into. Cause it's all those tricam. No. What's the, it's the can uh, the cam lock. Cam lock. Yeah. Yeah, so they got the little ears, and you put it in and move the ears back, and it kind of, like, locks onto the... Those things uh, are legit. Yeah, they're also... I saw how many he had... Like, he had a whole five-gallon bucket full of them, and I'm like... You know, they're actually not that expensive. Really? I thought they were expensive. Yeah, I've looked them up. They're, like, two or three bucks a piece, um, depending on the size, you know. Uh, at the homebrewer scale, they're really not that pricey. Okay. And the cool thing is you can get them in, like... All co- like basically cam lock on one end is what you get and then you pick the other side so if you want like yeah. half inch barb or if you want you know whatever kind of fitting or NPT or whatever you just choose that yeah like 10 an fitting <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so if you want to quick connect your your oil line off your jeep <laughs> the cam lock <laughs> mm. okay um so yeah, that's it's it should be a pretty short project. I'm hoping like this Sunday I knock out those boxes. Well, you don't have to source all the parts. The parts that like you you're the puzzle, the guy who puts the, the puzzle together. The puzzle master. Yeah, that's not as cool as like the Riddler. So as soon as you finish those, though, <laughs> you get to go and brew like a a one barrel batch, right? Yeah, he's even got all the ingredients and stuff. So it's like. It's just been sitting there. Oh, man. I found a, a new brew store here in Denver, which I think is going to become my new, like, just generic brew store. Like, at a lot of brew stores, you go and they have grains along the walls. Yeah. And you yeah. just get to pick. They have, like, those, you know, the, the cereal dispensers, basically. Yeah, you pull the lever and it just shoots a little bit in. Yeah. So you have your scale and you can kind of just fill up until you hit the your weight. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm a little bit of a goober on this, but like most of those stores, they just give you like a plastic bag, and you just throw your grains in the plastic bag, put it on a scale, weigh it, and then Bob's your uncle. Mm-hmm. This place doesn't have any plastic bags, and the first time I walked in there, I'm looking around, I'm like, where where do I grab a bag? And they're like, oh, um, so so this place is is literally connected to a brewery. Uh, in fact, you can walk from the brew store into the brewery. Uh, and just grab a beer and walk back. So uh, they just use all the spent grain bags, and you get like the big. Oh, so you actually get the fiberglass. Yeah, you get the fiberglass. So I've got this one with a with a green dinosaur on it, and like it's <laughs> it's super great. You just grab a an actual grain bag. I mean, they're like the big fifty pound sacks and things. So it's just yeah. I kind of want to collect those, and you get one every time you go. So I, is that? I think they're Tyvek, some kind of fibrous. Synthetic material. Car- carbon fiber. Carbon fiber. Carbon White fiber. carbon fiber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a goober. I like no, that. That's stuff. awesome. That's yeah. pretty cool. I kind of want to, like, I'm building out my brew section very, very slowly. Brew section of my basement, and I kind of want to uh, use those in the decorations. Yeah, they would be, if you, like, framed them, like a record, um, like an album. So you actually probably buy album frames. And then, because I bet you that logo is no bigger than 12 by 12. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke just for Steve because I was doing, I, I was trying yeah. to do like the, the square, but hit it, the frame that's in the webcam. Something. Yeah. Yeah. The, this webcam is clearly 12 by 12. Yes. Um, I really need to get us recording video. Oh yeah, for sure. Throw it up. Yeah, we said we were going to do that um, a couple of months ago. Oh. <laughs> you know the problem. The problem is, I, I, for some reason, um, 
recording it on the computer. I'm also doing the recording for the audio on. It gets some weird echoes. I have no idea why. It's echoes from your end, which doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's strange. So I think I really need to just set it up where I have we have a third connection that just comes in. And then... Um, anonymous listener. Anonymous listener, yes. And then uh, it's just recording. Now, the only difference is one of us is going to be the smaller picture, like in the frame, because it's three people instead of two yeah. in our recording. So, Just make the uh, the anonymous listener um, the MacFab logo or the podcast logo. And yeah, it would be the podcast logo. It's just the... Um, It'd be interesting if we ever have two guests to try to do it that way, though, because Squadcast only supports uh, four connections. Does it? I thought we've had yeah. more than that. Oh, we. I think we have had more than that, but multiple share a mic. Yes, multiple share a mic. Yeah. Which makes Josh, our audio engineer, uh, pull his hair out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bud. So. Okay. So I'm done talking about homebrewery. And building electrical boxes. For today. I'm sure today. we will talk about it soon. Because uh, uh, Rev 2 of, Bre- of no, Brew Rig. Season 2. Oh, Season 2. I'm sorry. We're calling those seasons. <laughs> I forgot. Season 2. So Season 2 is actually going to come for the brewery rig, my brewery rig, um, when I move it into this room. So I'm the side room of uh, the side garage. room of my garage is like my office right now. Um, but when my dad retires... I will be able to use the office that's in the house because he won't have an office here anymore. And so I'm going to move my office that's here into there. And then basically this entire side room will be, um, I'm still going to have my electronics in here because it makes sense. But then the other half is instead of being office, it's going to be brewery. Gosh, you'll never have uh, to leave that room. Yeah. I'm going to put a cot right down there. Yeah. You do electronics, turn around, suck right off the fermenter, turn around, do electronics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeasty gross um the only thing i have to figure out is if i put my brewery in here i'm gonna take it off the cart so it's gonna be on this like super heavy duty uh desk that's like made of like like inch and a half plywood um is doing the vent because you make a lot of steam and i gotta figure out how to vent it and it might be where i just um open the window and put like a like instead of a window unit put a big like 24 inch fan and then have that ducked up into a big you know make a big vent hood yeah just, just get a vent just go buy a big kitchen vent hood with a fan in it well i, I don't want to go through the wall that's how those are all installed um Mainly for like have it go straight up into the attic of the garage oh man it gets so swampy up there it's it's Texas, it's already swampy up there. Um, no, but I can have it. I can have the vent hood vent through the window. Yeah, that's the thing. Be kind of weird doing it that way because it's like because it would have to bend down to go into. It. I have to figure it out. Yeah, if I had to cut a hole in the wall, so be it. Yeah, I already See, cut a hole in the wall for the stuff. Air, yeah, I already cut a hole in the wall for an air conditioner in here. So <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, season two. I'm I'm expecting that like. Probably end of summer is when I'll get to it. Because I'm still kind of enjoying... No, really, the only problem is just, like, it needs bottom drains. That's, like, the only thing it needs. Because, like, um, when you finish brewing and you just have, a, like, a gallon left in each pot. And you're like, well, I got to take a vacuum cleaner to it. Wet vac. I so. mean, I just dump mine out in my backyard and spray them out. Yeah, but mine's attached to, like... <laughs> yeah, it's yours cart. is hard connected. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll probably still have hard connections, except that I'll just make it so that they're bottom drain and that will make it a lot easier. Ah, I gotta drill through that big bottom. Yeah. That's sketchy. Well, I gotta figure I'm gonna um I'm gonna find um non triclad pots for that. I don't know how I'm gonna do that yet. I might even use like you know, a lot of people use uh kegs. Mm-hmm. Might do that because they those are single wall, yeah, and um, they make great boil kettles. Yep, sweet. Yep. So what's your topic of the day? Well, okay, so I I kind of have 
something I ran into and I, I wanted to kind of present this and see if anyone else has run into it because I have an idea uh, for searching for components because I so get this I, I ran into this I run into this issue actually I should say not just once but like this happens to me a lot and now I'm starting to think like maybe there's a way around this okay here's the scenario you 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 know you want a part you know what that part should basically be and so you go to your favorite um whatever mauser digikey blah 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 all those guys you you put in all your parameters that you guarantee know that your design has and then it spits out here's here's x amount of parts that that fit your filter criteria say it's something like 150 parts that now you have the the really fun time of going through those 150 parts and seeing which magical one fit is the best for your design right mm -hmm. uh and and that can be either incredibly simple if your criteria is easy and you just at the top of the list find one that works and you go with it or it could be really really tough if you are trying to pinch pennies and you're trying to find the exact perfect part now you're having to like search every single part uh so one issue that i've run into is like okay i've got this huge list how do i organize things and how do i organize them in such a way that I know what parts I've looked at, what parts I need to look at, uh, and maybe even rank them or even say like, oh, this one's had this one special thing. I need to remember that or uh, or even uh, in a different way, which ones do I know I just flat out don't want, even though they're on my list. I just I found out I don't want. Yeah, so, they're not. And it, yeah, you don't want like this has happened to me like three years later and order the same part. because You think it's also the same part. Like it's an awesome, like it's your golden part, right? right? And you get it in, and you're like, "Oh, I remember this thing. This thing is junk." Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so one, one. Okay, so let's let's take this scenario. Like, you you, you pull up your list. You, you you snag the first part on that list. You look at that data sheet, and you're reading through the data sheet, and you go, oh, "Okay, this is just not going to work for my design." Mm -hmm. So you you go back to your search list. That item is still on your search list. And you have to mentally, in your head, just know not to include it in the list, even though it's right there. My my thought here is, it, would there be a convenient way to say, like, oh, I have looked at this part. I don't want it to be part of my search anymore. Take it off the list. And take every variant of that part also off the list. So, you know, like when you, you know, I said there's 150 line items that show up on that search. My example from the other day, I was looking at voltage regulators and uh, I was LDO specifically. And um, with, with the criteria I wanted, there was a certain LM XXX part. I don't remember the three numbers, but like, the first five things were all LMXXX, just a variant of it in a different package or tape or reel, blah, blah, blah. And or then in voltage. And then, yeah. yeah, down the list, there was more of that same LM, blah, blah, blah. I wish there was a button that I could press and just say, look, I've looked at the, the one data sheet that references all of these LM parts, and I know none of them will work. So take all of those off the list. And uh, that right there, I think, would make searching for parts so much easier because uh, i don't have a system better than the way that i've kind of discussed it here yeah um, i think um if i don't know if distributors like mauser or digikey support it but having like in google you can put a minus and then something yeah and it will make sure that result that that string is not in your results so you could do that you could do like minus lm and then usually you star as a wild card. Basically, anything right. that comes after it doesn't matter. Right. And that would filter that out. I don't know if Mauser and DigiKey support that, though. I know. Okay, so I know DigiKey has some support for um, operations like that. I know I, I at some point in time it had uh, not, uh, like you could say, I want this but not that. Kind of, kind of things in the search field, but I, but I, I think I'm I'm going a little bit of a different direction from what you're saying. Instead of having to re-search, I'm saying break down what you have already searched. So you've you've created a search and you have a list. Uh, the idea here is like, say I I click a data sheet on a part and then I find that part doesn't work because of that data sheet. If there was just one button that says remove every part that is linked to this data sheet, just 
get rid of all of those, ah, that's it would a, it that's would automatically yeah, it would just automatically reduce everything, and then you never have to look at that part again. And here's the thing: when it comes to voltage regulators, that's not as much of an issue. But I started thinking. What about connectors? Like, you know, connectors are awful at that because you might get a family of connectors where, like, every pin variant is is in an there. individual item. If I could just say, I don't want any Amphenol XXX or, 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 or Samtech mm-hmm. or blah, 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 anything connected to this data sheet, take it off my list. Man, that would make connector searching and, easier. And this would work really well for uh, resistors and capacitor families, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was looking for a unusual component of resistor component that was a high voltage like in a uh, specific package and you would have to dig into the data sheet because actually voltage isn't really something that people care too much about in resistors like the peak voltage um, and so you can't really search for them on digikey and Mouser that way you have to go all the other parameters and then go into each family's data sheet and go and basically, it's like, are you capable of handling this high voltage? And the high voltage I'm saying right now is like over 300 volts. Yeah. <laughs> so right. very high voltage. Um, and uh, and it would be so awesome to be like, okay, that family from the, what like ERJ from Panasonic, I know you're not going to be able to handle 300 yeah, volts. Yeah, there's not any ERJ that will work. Yeah. So don't show me any ERJs. Yes. That's and- actually doing it by data sheet would work for most things. Now there's some comp, uh, like connector companies that will give you individual data sheets for something right. for like the families, which is sure. But that's actually really, really, really good, easy way to implement it though. You see, I, I could almost see it being like you could opt into a, a wizard kind of thing where like, okay, you do your search, you get all your results and then you click on a data sheet and you leave the data sheet and maybe the search could ask you, be like, Hey, I saw you open this data sheet. Does this part work for your design? Would you like me to save this? Uh, if not, would you like me to take it off of this entire search? And you could just say yes. Uh, and, and then it would remove that whole family or like, I, I almost see like a part searching wizard that would walk you through finding like zeroing in on the part you want. And it would also be cool. I'm sure the big players already do some version of this. I frankly haven't played around with it too much, but like say I've, I've created a search. Uh, I've, I've done all my filtering that I know these are the things I have to have. And then it has like a list of, I'll go back to my number, 150 items. If I could save that list and just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to come back to this. I know this is going to take me hours to read these data sheets. I always want to be able to look up this list. I don't want to have to remember all of the parameters I had, save this list and then I can start walking down that with the wizard until I strip away all the things that don't work. And then I'm left with two or three that I can present to the engineering manager and say like, I think these parts will work. Seems really, I don't know. That seems really useful to me and way easier to narrow down things. So you don't have to just remember, Oh, I've looked at this data sheet and this is just a variant of that. So it's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. That'd be cool. I think it would be awesome. Yeah, because I because your your comment here is uh, no more lists or expel sh- ex- Excel sheets. Because um, I ha- definitely have a ginormous uh, Excel sheet that is like Parker's cool parts <laughs> that I'm like saved. Unfortunately, like half of them have been obsoleted by now, but it's so cool to have the data sheets kicking around. Well, and and saving a search comes with a lot of uh, issues because like if you save a search and then someone accesses it later. Uh, and parts have either changed or gone obsolete or there's new parts, then, like, how does that work? It sort of doesn't. Unless, like, okay, say you save this search and then you go and bring it back up, maybe the service could tell you, oh, these things have changed since the last time you've looked at this search. Mm-hmm. It, that's a possibility. I don't know. They're like, It seems like there's a thousand ways to skin this cat and all of them are compromises, which yeah. that's just no, no, no. engineering, right? What, what I'm saying, though, is... is- this is such a great idea because the problem with the Excel sheets is obsolete parts. And you also, when you make the list, you have to put in your own description of why you put it on the list. That's how I always do it. It's like, why am I putting this one component on this list? So I'm describing it how basically I'm hoping Parker four years from now remembers how to describe that part. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I'm all, I, I think also like... 
let's say okay let's say you're you're doing a design you have a processor and you need memory to go with that and you have to go search for memory that's not the easiest thing on earth and there's a ton of different options that will probably all work for your situation so how do you zero down into the memory you want uh, being able to like strip things off of your search or like Parker, you say, add notes in and say, I like this chip because X, Y, Z, and I like that one. And then like, you know, it, it just helps you make decisions as you go down the line, as opposed to doing it manually the way I've always done it, where it's like, okay, I know I like these 10 parts. I'm putting them all in Excel and here's URLs to the data sheet and blah, blah, blah. Like seems cumbersome when it could yeah. just be easier. Now, what you can do is you can expand this idea and you can make it where it's um, publicly accessible and then people can put in what they're using it for, like high level, like, oh, I'm using these components in automotive or this is a consumer device or this is a stomp pedal or, you know, what? however, <laughs> drill down the person wants to get for it, like tags, tags, tags for components. Met metadata on parts. Metadata, yes. <laughs> um, and it would be awesome if you can do like popular parts, kind of like how Amazon has Amazon Choice, where like people who search this thing has selected this item and like it. You know what? You know what's funny? This all kind of ties into the so you want to pick a part thing, or so you want to, you know, like remember that that whole idea yes. we had where that was only a couple months ago, right? Yeah, just a few, right? By the way, if okay, so if anyone wants to run with these ideas, do it. Yeah, yeah. These are yeah. Stephen and I will not have time to do this stuff. No, no, not a, not at all. Just remember where they came from. Just put a little in in the footer of your website. Just say, hey, listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, just yeah. <laughs> seriously, tell people to listen to the podcast. That that'll be best. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, like if if there was that whole. So you want to pick a relay and then like you read about like, here's all the things you need to know about relays. And then you go to the relay wizard and it helps you like drill down to the part you want. You're, you're now educated about the part and then you could get to your part. But then you'd be like, Hey, I'm designing a automotive device and you can click automotive tag and you go, okay, people who have designed automotive things have used these relays in the past. Yeah. And these are the most popular ones. So they probably work fine. Hmm. You know, I wonder if there's, um, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't know all the like background details around this, but like, I, how how much can Mauser or Digikey or any of the other big guys like steer you towards a part and be like, ha, huh, you should pick this one. Like, well, do, Amazon hundred percent does. Well, like, so Amazon I mean, I does. It doesn't that. <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends if you own the inventory or you're just a distributor or how that works. Yeah, like, do you have to have, like, a fair shake towards every single person, you know? Because we, we know for sure Amazon doesn't do that. Well, yeah. So, I'm, just, I'm shrugging my shoulders for people who can't see, who, I, who are not Steven, who can't see me. I love that you, you, you drill down into, like, ferrite beads and there's, like, DigiKeys pick ferrite bead, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the one that they make the largest margin on. Yeah, uh, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Like we're, we're we we keep taking ideas and then making them bigger and saying we want them. <laughs> well, we this would be such a great tool service. Yeah, yeah. Um, so someone go and make that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, please. I will use it if you make it. <laughs> yeah. Or or. If someone from MacFab is listening, y'all should make it. Mm. That'd be awesome. Uh-oh, it's a race now. Who's going to make it yeah. first? Yeah. So you want to make a thing to help you find a part. That's what yeah. it's now called. <laughs> <So you wanna, laughs> that actually should be the title of this podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We keep, we keep pulling freaking Band-Aids off of old wounded projects, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Actually, I have a solution to that. Um, I, I say me, uh, Chris Carter, who's been on the podcast before um, from Mercury Inc. He uh, gave me this really good idea that I want to implement for the Slack channel. Uh, I'm not going to go any deeper because I want to actually do it before we actually like say anything more about it. Like that's what I'm trying to do with my projects now. It's like, is 
I want to at least get like halfway there before I even say anything about it now, right? Like with the my uncle's breweries, like I already have all the parts here, hmm. and I have to do it. <laughs> well, I guess technically I don't have to do it, but being a good uh, nephew is that the correct relative? Nephew, <laughs> just say relative. relative. If, if he's your uncle, you're his nephew. Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. Yeah. We had the same last name, God damn it. <laughs> Actually, I came up with an idea for a project. Um, and not, not a project for Parker or me, but a project for our listeners, actually, the other day. And I'm not no, going to no. say anything about yes. it. I'm not saying anything about it. The whole the whole reason I even said that is because Parker is like, these are the criteria that must be met before we tell our listeners what that is and and you know what it it likely will never happen it may happen <laughs> but it likely won't I've, i'm just bringing that up because like parker's just being a gatekeeper now and i appreciate that i think it's i think it's if it's an idea that we have that we, we know we're never going to do like this uh this um uh part picker wizard Hey, who you said want we're to not going to do a that? Blah thing. I know we wanted you wanted to do the so you want to pick a blank thing, yeah. but that never happened. So I think at this point we're cutting the reins on that one. I mean, it. I, I hope it happens one day. Okay, so yeah, we're cutting the reins on that one. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, but so if it's a project though that you, we want to do, I think we have to wait until at least we've done like fifty percent of the work. Okay. That's so. fair. To you be. have to be able to. Okay, how about this? You have to be able to take a picture of something physical. <laughs> oh, so so it's 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 basically Kickstarter rules now. Yeah, Kickstarter rules. <laughs> I think actually screenshots of schematics and stuff is enough too. In my in my opinion, sure. Something has to actually exist that you can like show to someone. Got it. So it's it's not even Kickstarter rules. It's like Indiegogo rules. Yeah, and in general, unless I guess unless we say something about it, what we say on this podcast, like like a lot of these ideas, you can just run with them. You know, oh, if yeah. somebody wants to, especially the idea uh, tank podcasts, like if you have oh, yeah. ideas about those, or if you want to go implement those, we should get those guys back on the podcast. Those are so yeah. much fun. I love that. That was such a great podcast. That last one we did, <laughs> so fun. What, what episodes were those? I don't know. One was in the bomb shelter and one was yeah, a one few was months pre ago. Harvey. The, the pre heart yeah, a couple months ago, right? Yeah. Um Yeah, one was uh MEP episode seventy seven. Cause that was a couple months before Hurricane Harvey. Right. Yeah. because uh, Hurricane Harvey was August twenty seventeen. Uh, yeah. I think that that's sounds right. correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that was July 2017. So it was seriously a couple months before Harvey. <laughs> um, and then the other one was MEP uh, episode 223, which was a couple months ago, uh, May 6th. That really wasn't that long ago. It's almost wrapped back around now. And that was the inverted success funnel, <laughs> which was the premier pyramid scheme that was inverted. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, so good. That was the, you. Had, I think you had one of the best ideas on that on that last one because you had the go away AI. <laughs> yeah, that one was fun. <laughs> hey, everyone, go back if y'all haven't. If if you're new on the podcast, go back and listen to those because they are amazing. They were that was fun. Okay. Um, so serious news now. Serious news. Actually, Wait, real serious. quick, if we ever Go do another another idea tank podcast, we should have our Slack channel come up with an idea, like a collective idea, and then present the Slack channel's collective idea. Oh, like we have to sell the Slack channel's idea? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like Shark Tank, where we have to sell Slack's idea <laughs> to to the other guys. That could actually be because right because so the format of the idea tank podcast when they're on our podcast is we just come up with some random ideas and that's about it. I like the idea of pushing it one step further is you have to sell your idea or product to the other people in the, in the, 
podcast. Yeah. I like that. So you have to come up with like a dollar amount and all that good stuff. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay. <laughs> Basically Shark Tank the podcast, right? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Serious news. We're 40 minutes into this thing. Serious news time. Finally. Okay. <laughs> Finally. Okay. So chip shortages are happening. Uh, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but um, this is uh, more industrial and uh, industry news. Is chip shortages hit even as auto chip sales climb? Um, so last quarter, quarter four of 2020, um, actually the whole year 2020 was not very good for automotive sales. Um, not a lot of people were driving, people were not buying cars, but for some reason in quarter four, people were like, I'm sick of not buying a car. So I'm going to go buy a car. I have no idea why consumers would do that in uh, quarter four last year, but that's what happened. And the supply chain is so stressed on the electrical components that go into cars that Ford and Fiat Chrysler are shut temporarily closing factories because they do not have enough components to build their electronics that go into their cars. Mm. That's bananas. Is that like across entire like like their entire fleet? Or is I think it's just- only a couple factories are shutting down. Okay, it's not like the whole fact whole thing shutting down yeah but yeah they're shutting down i think it's a couple of their lines just because they cannot get enough components wow um so i was thinking about this um this that was an article from fierce electronics um so i was thinking about this and i'm like what else has gone bonkers in the automotive because um like recently um and so apple it was a couple months ago, um, announced they wanted to make self-driving electric cars by 2024, which is, at this point, three years from now. Yeah. Um, which is crazy to think about. And so it's like, okay, a your average lead time for like some of the really in-demand uh, automotive-grade components like um, MOSFETs, that are using you're using to drive your motor controllers for your big electric motors to move the car. Um, those are having like some some of those components have lead times of like 36 to like 100 weeks. Mm. So basically, it's like half a year to two years of lead time on these components. And I'm thinking, okay, you have this player Apple that's coming into the space that wants to hit 2024. They're probably going to leverage like third party manufacturers, all that good stuff to build these cars. But you're talking, they're buying components now to hit that 2024. So you got this new player that's gobbling up all these components. And then you also have Tesla who's been a long-term player in electric cars. But in 2020, they, hit their highest sales ever with basically half a million cars sold, um, which is 36% increase from 2019, which is ridiculous to think about. So they have a 36% increase, which means they are using 36% more parts, minimal. Um, And then there was a VLSI research came out with a report where um, basically the fourth quarter automotive chip sales, so like the in, the components that go into electronics for cars, was thirty percent greater in quarter four mm. than than previous quarters. People have been saving money all year and they're ready to blow it on a car. Exactly, but yeah, um, the automotive chip sales was six point two billion dollars in three months at the end of twenty twenty. Wow, that yeah. made up for the rest of the year. Yeah, ba- well, almost. Um, uh, overall, it was 6.4% down over the whole year compared to 2019. But that last quarter, Q4, was 11% over from quarter four from 2019, which is ridiculous. Basically, it's like the greatest it's ever been after being down for three quarters. Crazy. Almost made up for yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole year. Almost did. So it's one of those like, you have all these big manufacturers and IC manufacturers are just either reluctant to scale up or just 
they can't scale up fast enough. They can't build factories fast enough. I don't know what it is. Because we saw this back in, oh man, was it 17 or 18? There was a bunch of IC. It was actually like CMOS level components were um, were uh, really hard to come by uh, for a bit. And it was um, the factories didn't want to scale up. And um, and then I think it was like a year or a couple months after that, it was uh, chip components didn't they were you remember all the capacitor shortages? Oh yeah, and they basically they um, they didn't want to scale up any of their lines, and they just basically redid all their um, um, offerings, I guess, uh, component lists, I guess, um, and basically just uh, reduced how many SKUs they had. Yeah, big consolidation. Yeah, they just consolidated a lot of their component lines. Um, that's how they solved the supply chain issue. <laughs> Obsoleted like half the components on the market. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we uh, <clears throat> we don't do this anymore, but uh, it was like a one-time like roll of the dice, and we bought like a million capacitors or something like that, and they were all bad, every single Ooh. one. I mean, it didn't actually end up – it wasn't that – pricey or anything so we didn't lose a lot of money it's like a 80 dollar reel on alibaba right <laughs> yeah <laughs> one reel with a million parts on it it's just like a tractor wheel <laughs> yeah it was six feet wide <clears throat> yeah no so it was just like oh well we rolled the dice i say rolled the dice because we we gray marketed that um yeah and we don't we don't ever gray market stuff but it was like ah, let's just try it because of sort shortage and, and that was at uh, through no that must have been right when you went to WMD. Yeah, it was. It was the first couple of months. Uh, they they handed me reels of capacitors and be like, "Can you check these? These seem bad." Yeah, yeah, they're bad. <laughs> I remember one of my friends bought a. Uh, it was during that whole shortage too. Bought a reel of sketchy components off off uh, eBay off sketchycomponents.com. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, eBay. Right. Yeah, eBay. <laughs> and. Um, and the first couple that he pulled off the reel were fine. Yeah. And so he had a manufacturing run done of them. And about the first hundred were okay. And then the rest were all dead shorts. Uh, and they were supposed to be 0. 0.1 microfarad capacitors. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> so whoever loaded, whoever counterfeited the reel put good components first so you would test them right. Mm. And then be like, oh, yeah, these are fine. Sticking with your noggin right there. Yeah. No returns on used components. No. <laughs> Even if they're dead shorts. Uh, don't buy from unauthorized dealers, kids. Nope. You, you you roll the dice every single time, and you will get bit. You Always, always. Yeah. If, eventually is what I mean. You may get lucky, but you will get bit eventually. I'm imagining, like, it. it's the world. It's 2017. There's a capacitor shortage. A van rolls up next to the engineering complex. It says on the side, in spray paint, free capacitors. <laughs> yeah. Guy with a trench coat <laughs> opens it up and there's reels on the reels. other side. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kid, you want some point ones? I got cabinets. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want some Nikki cons? Some fine gold? Yeah, and they're they're not even gold. They're just like yellow spray painted. Yeah, they're dipped, dipped, dipped in gold paint. Yeah, dipped electrolytics. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So 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 one other one other quick thing. Um, I've I've created a new style of um, of circuit building. Uh, so you've created a monster, is what you have. No, no, no. So, so we, we've actually created one already on on the fab, and I I have leveled it up, I think, and created a new one. So, so we, you know, there's surface mount, there's through hole. The next level that is like of sort of insanity is Manhattan style building. Uh, go Google that and and just look at the like beauty that people make. And then and then with with uh, our buddy Roz on a podcast, we came up with Thunder Ohm style, which well, the, the, you got dead bugging. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, there's dead bugging above that. Which dead bugging is effectively you flip a chip upside down, glue it to the board, and then just wire from pads to 
whatever the pins are. Most of the time you dead bug because you got a footprint wrong or you uh, you just connect a pin the out wrong, things. something yeah, like that. Yeah, pin out. Uh, so so uh, yeah, and then in the, you level up from that, you got Thunder Ohm style, and Thunder Ohm style is uh, Mad Max. Anything goes in a way, but there's still like some rhyme or reason a little bit to it. A little bit. Uh, it's it's Witness ugly, me. but it gets the job done. So uh, today, I I I I'm gonna declare that I officially created the next level, and I <laughs> we're calling it Cthulhu style <laughs> manufacturing. <laughs> it's it's point to point surface mount with uh, any any PCB connection done with a flying wire. So I I, I posted up a uh, a circuit that I had to build today. Um, and to test a new uh, a new concept, and uh, basically, I I was looking at all the parts, and I was like, "This is going to be a nightmare to slice up this board and cut traces and and like bend legs and stuff." I'm just going to Cthulhu style it, which is basically you take the part, you solder surface mount components to the legs where you need them, uh, and then just wire it all up. And uh, <clears throat> this thing was it was it's it's three dimensional in terms of like I have I have jumpers going underneath parts and like surface mount parts hanging all it's over. It's a flying place. spaghetti monster. Yeah, basically, basically, it's it, like all of your nightmares come alive in Cthulhu style, style manufacturing. Yeah, I think it's just HP Lovecraft style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lovecraft style. <laughs> and uh, and so. Uh, the, the, okay, so, so the story of this this circuit goes like this: we we use voltage references for a lot of our analog circuits at work. Basically, a really nice stable voltage that we can uh, uh, have the rest of the circuit be controlled by. Most of the time, it's like five volts, something like that. So our our potentiometers, we uh, we know the range. They go from zero to five, or they go from negative five to positive five, <clears throat> and then we can design around that. If you don't have stable references, then what is your circuit, right? Like, it it could be anything. It floats all over the place. So, so a few or a, a couple of months ago, I designed a uh, a new reference circuit that uses a TL052 um, op amp, which is a pretty nice little precision op amp that's not too expensive. Uh, this and and. In conjunction with a reference voltage generator, the MCP1501T, uh, we can get virtually anything we want from all of our analog references to our DAC references to all kinds of stuff. So those two parts together give us virtually everything we want. And we've already used this reference design on a handful of um, a handful of our circuits. Uh, so... We we get down to throwing this onto a new uh, product or or a it's not a new product it's an old product that we've done a board rev on uh, and we wanted to throw this reference on it. We get the reference and uh, start testing the the new uh, the new prototypes and like you turn a knob and the reference just floats all over the place. It's doing non-referency things uh, and and what this kind of boils down to is. Uh, perhaps a little bit of marketing wink in the data sheet, but uh, also not fully reading every aspect of the data sheet from a TL052. Because uh, the TL052, if you look at the data sheet, it actually claims a pretty high output current and uh, like it can drive uh, a moderate load. But if you start digging deeper and look at the charts then there, like, yeah, it can drive okay loads but it's output voltage just dive bombs to nothing so like if you're if, if you have its output voltage low you can drive more yeah it's it, it claims that it's absolute maximum output per channel from an soic 8 op amp can drive 80 milliamps but okay. like maybe at like 0.1 volt or something like no, that. Okay. Yeah, like it's it's a it's a reference that you're not going to use. Yeah, yeah, and like it, it, the absolute maximum it it, it claims is 160 milliamps for the whole IC, which is incredible. I mean, like it's ridiculous, but in reality, it can actually only drive. Excuse me, um, like a regular op amp, it, it 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 can drive 10 to 20 milliamps before you start seeing some degradation. Uh, and and you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you looked at the charts that are that are down there, mm -hmm. and I may have missed those. 
in reference to this new circuit, like in, in our older circuits, it's a reference voltage. Typically, you're not demanding much current from a reference voltage because you want it to be really stable. And most of the references are going to be high impedance things that are just looking at the voltage effectively. So are, are you sure this data sheet just didn't buy you a really fancy lunch? I it may have. I, you know, I that was a couple of months ago. I don't remember. <clears throat> so it's a salesperson joke. <laughs> That's just the thing. Yeah, you got to watch out for like, I don't know. Like th- th- this, this op amp, I, I designed it in as a higher current than it, it, than mm. than I thought it would be. Uh, I didn't fully check that, but like I said, I designed it for some of these other previous uh, products that we've done, and it works beautifully on all of those. It's just we put it in a very high current demanding situation and didn't check that, so it. It's different criteria than the original design. So regardless, this whole circuit kind of craps the bed when you demand more uh, juice out of it is what the moral of the story is. So I needed a solution to that. And instead of like finding a new op amp and doing all these other things, I just decided to go with an op amp transistor buffer circuit, which uh, we have a link to an all about circuit thing with it. I've used this circuit multiple times and um, it makes a great little current... um, increaser basically you can you can demand more out of your you, basically you use the reference voltage to uh, go into an op amp buffer and the the op amp buffer itself controls a transistor where the transistor is doing the heavy lifting of uh d- dropping voltage and uh sourcing current and so between those three like i i just basically had to build this cthulhu style circuit up in the air and and run that and you know what's great like it works freaking beautifully. Like we're we're good to go. Basically, I just need to pick the right transistor um, for for production. So, how much error does that um, buffer circuit add to your reference? So my reference is uh, so my reference is three volts, um, and it is a point one percent initial accuracy. Then I put it in that TL052, which has really low offset. Not really low, but but it has moderately low offset. Um, and its its gain error is good. And I measured I measured the output at close to uh, 0.1% error across the whole thing. Basically, I gain up that 3 volts to a plus and minus 5 volts, and I was well within 5 millivolts of hitting that target. So... Uh, pretty good. Let's put it that way, and and that's obviously at room temperature. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you sweep the entire range, it it wouldn't be as nice. But if if I'm getting an initial accuracy on both of my reference rails of within five millivolts of five volts, I'm happy with that. It does take some precision resistors to do it, though. Basically, basically, a circuit like this is as precise as you want it to be. You just mm-hmm. how much money do you want to throw at it being precise? Yeah, how, yeah, how much? How, what's your tolerance stack up? Basically, at the end. The good thing about this, though, uh, this particular circuit, I swept the load from its quiescent, just basic. I think it was like ten milliamps, and I swept it to its maximum volt uh, load, which was forty milliamps, and I got virtually no change in the reference voltage, which is what you want. You just yeah. you want it to be. Um, uh, linear. Well, not not just linear. You want it to not respond to changes in load, and uh, that's exactly what I was getting with this. So. And I'm looking at the circuit now because I've I've never dealt with these kind of circuits before. Yeah. And um, what I'm noticing is there's no capacitors in it, uh, in terms of like in the feedback loop and that kind of stuff, um, which is good because precision capacitors are very expensive, which has compared to a a, a precision resistor, which is not as expensive. Well, okay, before before you go too much further with that, uh, in the real world, I do add capacitors to the feedback of the circuit. Mm. Um, I, it's They're small. I'm typically somewhere in the range of like 100 picofarads. And that's basically to keep the phase margin of everything like playing nice such that it doesn't, uh, it, like it aids in stability. And are you just reducing nuts. ringing on your feedback loop? Well, I mean, it's a it's a reference voltage. There's no, there should be no step changes. There should be no ringing whatsoever. But just making sure because because instead of the op amp like legitimately feeding itself back, it now has to control the transistor that uh, feeds back to its 
uh, what is that? The inverting pin. And so at the time when you, you first power things up and it comes up, that capacitor helps kind of slow things down so it doesn't freak out and go nuts. And the output of the op amp doesn't just saturate. I mean, it, it there's a chance that it still could, but the, uh, the capacitor there helps make sure that it's uh, under control. Let's put it that way. So any, any time, Anytime you can add a little bit of extra control and swamp that out, I, I typically try to. In fact, with most of my designs, I will add pads for capacitors in feedback, uh, in op-amp feedbacks, and just make them do not installs on the uh, prototyping. In case, like, I do find some instability, I can just slap a cap in. So, so yeah, the, the circuit in this link that we have here is, like, the bare minimum, like the breadboard version of okay, of it. Gotcha. But yeah, adding adding a small capacitor in the feedback loop is uh, probably not a bad idea. Sounds good to me. Cool. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillon. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading and listening to our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Or if you take one of our ideas and run with it and make a billion dollars, remember and listen to our podcast. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. <laughs>